Hey guys, this is my leak. This is the My Taught You podcast, and I'm really excited about this podcast today. I'm going to introduce you to my friend Spencer Humphrey that I met um, years and years ago. I think I was maybe 21 or 22 when I met Spencer. Spencer, Spencer's uh, is the person that I call when I need business and entrepreneur book ideas, or I'm always curious to know what he's reading because he's like the goat of um, knowing exactly what book you need at the exact time. Spencer is a husband of husband and father of four girls, a home cook, avid reader, photographer, explorer, serial entrepreneur, lifestyle designer, storyteller, and he rides around with a kayak in the trunk of his Prius. He once started a business because a vegetarian ate his ribs and fed them to her baby. He spent seven years in college and welcome Spencer. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Miley. <laughs> of course. So I am going to share before we get into these books that I, I've read some of the books. I have not read them all. Now I have to. But um, I don't know if I've ever told uh, my podcast crew. I think I was I got an internship at I got an internship at Unilever sponsored by Essence Magazine when I was 21 or 22. I cannot remember because I spent five or six years. I think I spent six years in college. Um, And I was sitting at this dinner. So I got the job and maybe like a month into the job, they planned this dinner with the founders of Essence and Susan Taylor. And I, it's this massive table and I'm sitting next to Ed Lewis, who was, I think, the president or founder at the time, I should know. But anywho, he and I started talking. He asked me to order the wine and I had just gone wine tasting with my previous um, internship in San Francisco. Long story short, we talked for hours. Um, he asked me if I, if I had ever been to the Essence Festival and I was just like, no. And he asked why. And I'm like, well, I could either afford one thing, the flight, the hotel, the ticket or, you know, and so he excused himself. He came back and he handed me his business card and it had his assistant's phone number. And he was like, how would you like to be my guest to the Essence Festival this weekend? And I was like blown away, like, like, oh my God. And so I get to the Essence Festival, I'm by myself. And I think I sold one of my tickets one night. And I think the person who bought the ticket was you. I did. So actually (laughs) what happened, I, um, I bought a, um, fake ticket. (laughs) Oh no. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Youth to be young. So I bought a fake ticket, um, showed up at the door. They Uh were like, the ticket's fake. And of course this was like 2003. So I didn't have a lot of money. And back then, I guess I'll just say how old I am. I think like the new thing right now is people are saying they're old Atlanta. Well, I'm like old Essence Fest. (laughs) The thing back then was the last night at Essence, Maze and Frankie Beverly perform, and you needed to be there, and you needed to be like on the floor, like you couldn't just go and be like you know in the 400 level or whatever. (laughs) Like you had to be on the floor. So you could do like the soul train line with a lady, like it was like a party. And so (laughs) I was with a fraternity brother. I'm going to go ahead and say he loaned me the money. We (laughs) bought second tickets, but this time I had the guy bring me to the door so we can make sure that they weren't fake tickets. Right. And these were like seats that were probably like, third or fourth row or like, you know, it was something like really amazing and close to the stage. And then I basically sat down next to you and we became friends. That's exactly it. I had, I had all these tickets for every night, Spencer, and I was by myself and Mr. Lewis had given me, he gave me tickets to the box, like the essence box. He gave me like, I think it was second or third row seats for every night. He gave me access to everything. He, they paid essence pay for my hotel room, um, at the Hilton. Like they pay for my flight. Like it was just, it was mind blowing. And it's that sort of thing that you just never forget. I remember 
overnighting him a thank you when I got back. Like you just didn't have to do this. And just the way he talked about his daughters and what was so at that dinner, he talked about his daughters and one of my good girlfriends is one of his is one of his daughters and I just saw her recently. So it's just such a crazy, crazy small world that like I the last night I was like, you know what? I should at least try to make, you know, I'm young. Let me at least try to make. I think I sold the ticket for like a hundred bucks, which was like a grip to me back then. So I was like, let me just sell my ticket. Um, and here we are. So that's a story people probably didn't know. Uh I want to get into these books. So Spencer put together a list of six books. And trust me when I tell y'all, like, I'm not pretending when I say Spencer is like the goat when it comes to these entrepreneur and business books. Like, this is the person um, that I always want to know what uh, he's reading. So Spencer, the first book that you have, and and Spencer is a serial entrepreneur. Um, He has succeeded at this. Uh, I want to talk about your first book, Managing Oneself by Peter Drucker. Tell me about this book. So Peter Drucker is like the father of modern day business. You know, he's he died, I think, probably 10 or so years ago at like the age of 90. And you oh, know, wow. he was the one writing about business before anyone else. Um, okay. One of his books that I really like that I still haven't even finished because it's kind of boring stuff is called <laughs> Effective Executive. But okay, managing, I've heard of that. Managing oneself is something that I read or try to read once or twice a year because it's really a self-awareness piece. It's really about knowing who you are and being okay with it. So. Okay. One of the things that I'm okay with telling people, for example, is like, hey, I was in college seven years. Um, And, you know, part of it is because I wasn't in college seven years because I was dumb or because I wasn't smart enough. I just wasn't in the right environment, the right learning environment. And Mm -hmm. then actually I graduated in May, started grad school in August made straight A's the first year of grad school. I think I had one B and got a full scholarship for the second year of grad school. And I was the same person. And so sometimes I think we fail and it's not because we're not the right person. We're just not self-aware enough to know that we're in the right situation. Wow. Um, And this book really asks like seven really key questions. You know, what are my strengths? You know, what am I good at? You know, am I Mm -hmm. auditory? Am I a listener? You know, how do I perform? You know, what are my values? Where do I belong? What should I contribute? Um, And then responsibility for relationships. And then it starts to also talk about like the second half of your life or like a second career, because he's sort of speaking on the premise that we'll be working for 50 years. And I'll say that all of that has like helped me at different phases of my life. I first discovered it in 2001, 15 years ago when I was probably like 20 years old or 22 years old. And it's something that still helps me now, like 15 years later, regardless of how my life is, has changed. So I think that if you're an avid reader, if you're an avid self-help person, I think this piece is sort of a foundation. It's kind of like knowing how to do multiplication before you can move on to calculus or algebra. But it's a piece that will really kind of help you ask some questions and really assess who you are and, and help you really be okay with it so that you can put your best foot forward. That's so true. It's like so often I see it happening all the time. It's like people are addicted to things that they can't do. So it's like so many people if want to be like the marketer or the designer, but like that's not really their best skill set. You know, it's like you have to really figure out what you do and what you do well. And it's like if you want to be popular at something, you have to get good at what you do. You know, I think some people want the popularity that comes along with this particular career. Um, but you can get popular by being you and being dope at you if that's what you want. I think being dope at you is like key. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and actually, I got one more story, and I just be honest. Like, um, in 2008, I was working at, and this is kind of also how I became an entrepreneur. I was working at the Home Depot. I was in a leadership program and basically I got fired. Um, You know, it was kind of, it was, I think it was more of a cultural fit and probably it had a lot to do with my self-awareness more than it was just like, I couldn't do the work or that I had messed up on something. And after that, I worked some job for like six weeks they flew me to boston they gave me like training it was like a consulting firm so i sat at home for a month doing nothing and then they laid me off and then i spent like i don't know five or six months um applying for business school taking the gmat working with a tutor and then i bombed the gmat i got rejected by five business schools And I was like, you know, making this plan to retake the GMAT and I was just going to do really well and I was going to knock it out. And then my wife was like, hey, like, you've got to stop these contortionist acts. You've got to like go somewhere that like is a fit for you. Right. And the truth is, it was like very humbling and it was not a comfortable thing to hear, but it was so true. Like I'm not, you know, and it's like, I have a beard and I like wear jeans and no socks. And, you know, most guys I know that went to business school don't have a mustache and they like, you know, wear suits and these things that just aren't who I am. And I think it's really key to just be dope at who you are. Like, don't worry about being dope at being my leak or being dope at being whoever it is. Just right. be you. Right. And so I, one of the quotes that I got, cause whenever, whenever someone sends me books, I always like to look at the quotes first or wiki it. And it says successful careers are not planned. They develop when people are prepared for opportunities because they know their strengths, their method of work and their values. And I just think that that's so important because I turn down opportunities that I know are not a good fit for me. It's like, I'm not going to set myself up to to fail that. It's like, I know what I'm good at. I know how, how I work and I know what's important to me, you know? And so I will do some things because they're, they're just, I turn down some things because they're not aligned with my values. I agree. Yes. So I love it. Um, the next book that you have on your list, Spencer is a book that I am at the very end of reading. Um, I think I have like 20 pages left. Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, who I am interviewing next week. I'm very excited about that. That is, I I wish I could be there for the interview. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. But I... I picked the book up because it's a, I like the size of it. You know, it's, it's, it's a carry, it's a book you can carry around. And so that's what usually messes me up is that the books are too big, but this is a, this is a purse carry for me. But tell me, tell me what you liked about this. Um, am I allowed to cuss? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Kermit hooded Kermit the frog (laughs) And um, I know you. And the hashtag petty have really gotten us as a culture fucked up. Mm-hmm. I think it's really got us fucked up. I okay. think that you know, hooded Kermit. It's funny. It's it's cool, but it's. I'm really worried that we as a culture are starting to. Um, we're starting to really believe our hype almost to a point of like diminishing return and i think that the the point is to really talk about how dope you are how fly you are how much money you have how you're a boss how you're Mm -hmm. all these things fill in the blank and i think that sometimes it's okay to just really like forget about yourself and to focus on the work. Okay. Um, to be humble and to be persistent, um, to value discipline and results and not necessarily like passion and confidence. 
Um, okay. And, you know, I think that the book really does a good job of just letting you know that, like, the way that the world values, you know, being full of yourself and being about self is not necessarily what you need to be successful. And he really okay. talks about and gives example after example after oh example, my God. historical yes. context of like how people have ruined themselves with their ego. You know, he yep. talked about his mentor um, at a at a clothing company. I'm not going to mention the clothing company because they need to come sponsor the podcast. But well, they went they went out of business. Oh, <laughs> well, they, they so, formed they're shutting down all 140 stores that was okay. that was in the news a couple days ago. So it's fine. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> he had a he had a mentor. I'm still not going to name drop him. Don't he name had him. A mentor um, at a clothing company. And he talked about how that guy imploded and how he imploded his career, his life, his marriage because of his ego. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm a football guy. And, you know, even if you're not in a football, just as a business, I think the New England Patriots and the way they do things is amazing. And, you know, okay. he talks about um, their coach, Bill Belichick, and uh-huh. a technique that he used called canvassing. And a big okay. part of the canvassing is that you know, you're not out trying to outshine your boss. You're trying to make your boss look good. And right. I think that like as business people, regardless of where you are in your career, you've got to like be able to like be humble enough sometimes and realize that it's about your customer and it's about what your customer needs. It's about what your customer wants. And it's about making your customer look good. And that customer could be a boss if you're employed at a job, or it could actually be a vendor if you own a business, someone who does business with you that you actually pay money to, or it could be um, a customer who gives you actual money. But I just Mm -hmm. think that, you know, in this time, like it, it really is key for us to really just humble ourselves and have like a really good assessment of who and where we are. And it's not to say that we're belittling our achievements, but it's just saying that like, we're able to kind of detach ourselves from that. And just, you know, again, it's, it's humility and persistence. It's value and discipline, value the discipline and the results. It's about just doing the work and not worrying about shining. Um, one thing that the book talked about that really, really, really stuck out to me the most was talk. Okay. One of the things they were saying is that when you do a lot of talking about what you're going to do, Mm -hmm. you trick your mind into thinking that the work is done. Right. Yeah. That was my favorite thing. You tricked yourself into thinking that you did it. Yes. And so, you know, if you ever see like the person who's on Instagram you know, in the gym every day saying they're going to have the Beyonce body by summer and five <laughs> years later they don't have it. That might be it. Or if you've got right. a friend who's been saying that they're going to start a business, you know, like I have a friend who was I met years ago who was starting a fashion line or something and that person still hasn't done it. And I think wow. sometimes talking can really get in the way. Um yeah. And one of the things that he said was that talking and doing fight for the same resources. Damn. So, you know, and I think for me, as I even reflect on my own failures, I really have to think back to like what role ego had. And really it's a, for me, it's a daily fight, especially like as a black man, because I think, Mm -hmm. In our culture, hyper masculinity and like machismo and being macho was like the thing. And so I have to really like quiet that and, and fight that and die to it every day. Like I face my own hooded Kermit, except I <laughs> tell hooded Kermit to fuck off or whatever. Right. Yeah, so I do. Better. Yeah, I when you when I shared this book and you told me like this book like cha- like you said like changed you one of your favorites and first it's 
super digestible. You know, I know that for those who may be like a 48, I'm a 48 laws of power girl, but I, I love how digestible the context is, you know, the stories that he tells. And I think that a thought that I was having the other night is that you, you can, in reading, you will find example after example after what works and what what doesn't, you know, and then it becomes your choice of where you want to be and what you want to do. And I think so often um, as an employer, I see ego and it's like, you know, you did one thing or, you know, and, and now one thing it's like you you can't. I'm struggling, but it's like, you can't live off that. You know, every day I have to wake up and remind, like every day I have to wake up and be a beginner, right? It's like, I cannot get consumed in what I may have achieved because that mindset will attack me. You know, it's like, I can't rest. I come as an intern, as an assistant, as a boss daily, you know, I get bummed out too at all the like, hashtag girl boss, hashtag boss moves. And I'm like, where is your boss move? It's not a social media post or how are you a boss and you're not writing a check for anyone because it's like if you that like as someone who has like employed uh, people and yeah. dealt with like cash flow and dealt with like making payroll and the fear of like oh my gosh i might miss it and the check could bounce and whatever else like when you really really a boss it's almost like a curse and not a gift it's not something that you're gonna be like flexing about because you'll probably be somewhere like worried and stressed about yeah whatever. like you know like it's funny because like i remember once i had a guy that like set like a trash can on fire or something and like the fire department came and it was just like this big ordeal but the thing is is like when you're really truly a boss mm-hmm like that's that's pressure it's stress and i'm not saying it's not a good thing or not a it's not a um it's a it's an honor and a privilege but it's deeper than like flexing on social media oh it's so much deeper you know it's like when the letters from the irs come like do they come to you when you know when it's time to pay for the insurance like who who pays for that like i just i don't you know today i had to mail off my taxes i'm just like everybody is not as fun of a stunt if you will (laughs) you know it's like an occasional yeah yeah i'm in charge but like when you're in charge everybody is coming after you so one of my favorite uh i have so many favorite quotes quotes and ego is the enemy but he says impressing people is utterly different from truly being from being truly impressive you know what i mean it's like to be a truly impressive person and i just think that another one your potential the absolute best you're capable of that's the metric to measure yourself against your standards are winning is not enough people can get lucky and win people can be assholes and win anyone can win but not everyone is the best possible version of themselves which i think takes us back to your first book it's a great segue of like get your own shit together um check your ego uh and then we're going to move into your third book which is the ultimate sales machine by chet holmes this is a book that i haven't read so tell me why you love the ultimate sales machine so the ultimate sales machine um i think it's one of those books that you could have for 15 years and it could probably help you at different phases of your career i don't necessarily think it's a book that a person in their 20s could read straight through and find practical um But what I really like about it is that it's very practical and it gives you sort of an ABC one, two, three. It's almost like a Betty Crocker recipe, like, you know, two eggs, your stick of butter, your milk, you mix it. It tells you every it gives you a prescription. Um, And I think that that's very practical because a lot of the books we read sometimes are very theoretical. And they hype us up, but then we leave them and we're like, well, what do I do next? Like, what, where am I going? Like, what's my next move? And um, there's a, there's actually some points that I want to bring out. So even if your audience doesn't read the book, 
I thought mm-hmm. that this was like really key. And it was about time management secrets of billionaires. Um, number okay. one, touch it once. If okay. you touch it, take action. Yes. So, so, you know, don't open that email or letter until you're ready to deal with it. I love that. I love that. Last night, not to cut you off, but to cut you off because I just did. But last night, there was something that I wanted to do in the morning. And I saw like I, I emailed Diana about it and she emailed me back that night. And it was that thing of once I clicked it open, I just finished it. Like I, I felt bad because I was supposed to be doing something. And I was like, okay, I'm finishing this thing all the way through because it's necessary. You leave, you can't leave shit hanging. So my favorite, okay, touch it once. So next is uh, make lists. And mm-hmm. what he says is that you should make a list of the six most important things that you need to do and get done each day. Um, I love that. And what I do is the night before I do it. Because mm-hmm. what I find is when I make my list the day of, it might be noon and I've got nothing done because I'm overwhelmed or whatever. But it's like, yeah. if you make your list the night before, you keep it to six because six is sort of manageable. And if you start your list before you start email, before you start social media, before you start checking voicemails, it allows you to be very proactive and not reactionary. Cause if not, sure. then you'll look up and all you ever do is respond to email or surf social media. Um, the next thing, the third thing is plan how much time you'll allocate to each task. So, If you've got six things, you know, you may say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to do item number one on my task list between nine and 11. Okay. Um, And I think that that really helps. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it also lets you know, like, what important initiatives are just um, you're not just getting to because they take too much time. Then you can also start to, like, break them into small chunks. The next okay. thing he talks about is um, planning your day. Okay. So an hour by hour schedule and sticking to it. Okay. Um, the fifth thing is prioritizing. So you've mm-hmm. got that list, um, but you've got to figure out what's most important. You know, you've got to like be productive and, and not necessarily the easy work or the fun work, but you've got to figure out what's what's most productive. And then okay. the fine thing, the, the final is ask yourself, will it hurt me to throw this away? So, yes. you know, basically in terms of like paper, clutter, email, yes. you know, basically it's okay to get your inbox to zero. It's okay that you don't hang on to every scrap or every note or every whatever. You just ask like, hey, can I let this go and, and will it help me? Um, I love it. The next thing, which I think is probably for um, people who are probably a little further in their career or people who are running like mature and established businesses. Um, Mm -hmm. He has a part on meetings and he gives some really like key insight and templates into how to run a meeting. Um, He gives some insights also into how to implement policies. So, you know, when you're growing a company or you've got a startup, he's got a really good template for how you can implement policies. And then finally, he's got some really good keys for hiring people. Um, One of the things that I've struggled with and probably some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made is like in hiring. And I'll say that (laughs) now. I when I deal with people that I work with in various capacities, I'll kind of know early on, like if it's going to work or not. And if it's not going to work, I'll part ways. Um, But that just comes from having made many costly mistakes. And so even with hiring, that could even be like, you know, the person that you choose to do your nails, the person you choose to do your hair, You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't just come to being like an employer, but just the various people you bring into your lives to do services. So I think that there's a lot for everyone at every level. But I also think it's a book that 
depending on where you are in your career, some parts may not be as relevant, but definitely one of those that you just keep on the shelf as a classic and a reference book for different times. I'm going to order that. I've got some Barnes and Noble gift cards and Amazon gift cards. What's crazy is that I wonder if I will become a billionaire because that's literally how I um, do it. Last night, I made a list and I always have at least six things. The most important things I need to do by priority. Obviously, the number one priority today is to mail my um to make sure I didn't do it, but to make sure my assistant mails off the taxes today, you know? So it's like, I have a list of things to do. I plan my day hour by hour. I had this on my schedule to chat with you at 11 o'clock. I know what I have to do. I know when my next meeting is. It's like, I... I always say that like my superpower is time management. You have to make the most use of your time. People who get up every day without a plan scare me. (laughs) It's like you can't let the days get away from you because they turn into weeks, months, and years and nothing has happened. So I'm getting that. Thank you, Spencer. Um, What? I think the book will really help you. And the next time we have lunch, uh-huh. There's even some things I want to like talk about you that do. aren't necessarily for the whole audience that I think <laughs> that you think I can be better at or both of us. But I think even just sure. back to our last text conversation, I think that there's some things specifically in the book that'll help you that just came to me just now. I don't okay, know if edit that out, but it just came. No, it's fine. I, I can leave it. I think, but because I think it's important for people to know something about me um and something about you too is that one thing that i am um one thing that i'm certain of is that i am not perfect one thing that i need in friendships is honesty and um i need to grow you know and it's like i need people to call me on my shit constantly because if you I always say this, if you keep yourself around people who are me too and yes ma'am and and everything you say and do is is right, you end up being like Mariah Carey on that Cribs episode in like glitter high heels and butterfly booty shorts. It's like you need somebody to tell you when your dress is up. You need somebody to tell you when you are not, you don't have it fully together. And that's just what I appreciate in all my friendships. So I'm definitely, I will get it. And I definitely would like to discuss it. And there was something that we covered, I want to say two books ago, that was like when you were saying, um, Something that it was what you said, and I thought about this about people looking at themselves as businesses and their boss or who they're serving as their customer, right? So it's like imagining yourself as a small company, regardless of what it is that you're doing. I think the it's a mindset shift, and so I was thinking, I wonder how many people go to work every day and they they have it mixed up. They're looking like, oh, I serve this person, not realizing that they are their own small business serving their boss, a customer. And I just need I just needed to do a little mindset shift and I got it in that conversation. So uh, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I got it. I got it two books ago. Um, so next book uh that you have on your list is a book that i have read and i think this is a book that you referred to me almost like seven years ago um because i know that i got this from you and this is tim ferris's four hour work week and you said initially you weren't going to mention this book why weren't you going to mention this (laughs) i think the last book, all the books that I've mentioned thus far, are books that I kind of read within the last year. Um, I think that Tim Ferriss' Four Hour Work Week is a little dated. It's a little bit of a lie. It's, a, <laughs> yes. it's great marketing, but yes, if I'm truthful with myself, this book is what's really shaped and molded me into who I am and how I do things. Agreed. Um, Agreed. This this book isn't about working four hours a week. And if you follow him now, he'll admit that he works more than four hours a week. Um, But I think that this book is about creating the life that best fits you and it fits your interests and personalities. And so I feel like if you follow me on social media, 
you know, like I had someone once ask me if I was a drug dealer or if I, oh my God, um, uh, trust fund. Um, you do look a little trust fund, Spencer. I have to say your life, I so wish your life looks trust funded. No, I, I don't kayaking Cuba. No, I like when I wish. Okay. But, um, maybe my kids, but (laughs) I work. And I work in a way that works for me. And I figured out also ways to like fund my lifestyle that either means that it's funded in a way where I don't necessarily have to like kill myself for 80 hours or where I can fund my lifestyle at a fraction of the cost. So for example, um, you know, they ask like, what would you do if you had a hundred million dollars? And you know, your thing might be that you would buy an island and you know, an island might cost a hundred million to buy. But the truth is, is like maybe for 10 grand, there's an island somewhere in the Bahamas that you could rent for a week. And if you brought five friends, you could have that island for a week for two grand. You know, so I'm always thinking about hacks and ways to like live my life that um, allows me to like, that allows me to like afford a lifestyle that works for me in terms of like freedom and flexibility of my time, but then also allows me to like have the experiences I want. Okay, so after I think you and I had, um, we had a lunch and you told me about the four hour work week. I went on Craigslist because that's where you went back in the day. That was like pre-social media. So I went on Craigslist and I um, found a sort of virtual assistant, a person that I think, I think I was paying a little bit more because I had a little bit more intensive work, but I think it was like a hundred dollars a week. And that person still works with me to this day. So you think this is a six, seven year relationship that I pay much more for now. But I think the greatest lesson that I got was about like outsourcing the outsourceable, you know, like try to so that you can focus on driving the business or or ownership or whatever. But like try to get as many things done as you can. Exactly. I think as a manager and as a boss or owner or whatever, You've got to do only the things that only you can do and the things that other people can do. You make them into a replicatable process that can be repeated and that can be measured and you outsource it. And then everything else you everything else you do because only you can do it. But the rest of it, you free yourself up from. So, you know, one of the things that I really hate I don't know if you do this and if you do then I'll apologize in advance but one of the things I really hate is when I see people this this really 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 annoys me okay on the beach or at the pool like today's office oh I've done it I used to do that yeah a couple of years ago to me I've grown Spencer, I've grown, okay? But when I see people do that, it makes me say they're not really winning, they're not really a boss, that they're actually unorganized and don't know how to either delegate or manage their time, that they're just so buried that when they're on a remote island with the person they love or when it's a sunny day and they're at the pool, that they can't just be and enjoy that moment because they're probably dealing with so many BS issues that someone else is probably better suited to handle. Not even Uh, that it's about beneath you, but it's like there are other people better suited to handle it. Okay. Now this is the part where I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Um, I think that I, when I think about the times that I have done like today's office or, you know, okay, this is where I'm working. One thing that I got from the work, the four hour work week is that, you know, you can do your work from anywhere. You know, it's like I can I can do my work from anywhere. And I think that's the message that's being communicated is that 
I'm not out here all day. You know, if you see me out here in a bikini and I've got a couple cocktails and this is today's office, today's office is not an eight hour work day. <laughs> if it's yeah. even, you know, three, you know, sometimes I just think it's like it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday morning. I have to get up and knock out a couple things. How nice is it that I can come over here for an hour or two and get some work done? So I, will, I hear you. So it is. So I think it's a what do they call it? a nomad is it a global yeah yeah so sort of just saying yes digital office yeah digital office yeah so maybe we'll start saying digital today's digital office yes yes (laughs) yeah but i hear you i don't know i think that um I know that I have changed a ton from when I first started. And I think I see a lot of people and I see that everybody goes through these different like layers and phases of like freedom of new money. And it's like the first thing you want to do is you want to show off the freedom and then you want to show off the dough. And then it's just like, I think as you get comfortable being in a new bracket or experiencing a new, a new lifestyle because for the let's just face it most of us didn't have this stuff or didn't grow up with this stuff you know our parents told us that we would have to get a job with benefits and we would have to be chained to a desk all day and that we wouldn't have freedom that we couldn't like our work and I just think that everybody is just kind of screaming like yes we can if you will um but I think you it eventually tapers off like I think it's normal and natural my accountant and my wealth manager call it your trick off years like when it's new you got to trick a little bit and then you go okay this back to me you know and i think that that's really what it is like i don't buy like i don't own a chanel purse i i I just because with or without money i just don't think that that's who i am if you will like i think about spending ten thousand dollars on something and i think about having ten thousand dollars uh appreciating in the bank and it's just that's just who i am as a person but everybody goes through that spencer let them have their moment let them have today's office okay i hear you a hater you were being a hater right there (laughs) yes you are being a hater but it's okay we forgive you um all right but i got your i got your point so your next book is smart cuts by shane snow which i have your notes on but i have not read this book tell me about it so smart cuts is really where I am right now. Uh, okay. I'm very anti-credential, meaning Good. that, um, and I have an advanced degree, you know, we talk, I've been to grad school, college, all that, but I think that like education right now is sort of a big bubble. And I think that there are a lot of people spending a lot of money in a lot of ways for traditional education, thinking that it will sort of lockstep or ladder them into a career, into a job, into a fill in the blank. And in most cases, they end up with like debt or they and they don't necessarily end up reaching their goal. Um, I like smart cuts because it's a study about how successful people take shortcuts and they bypass like the long slogging dues paying process. And it's based on a premise that you can sort of lateral your way into something larger. Okay. Um, And it talks about something called lateral thinking and Mm -hmm. lateral thinking doesn't like replace hard work. It just eliminates like unnecessary cycles so it's like once you sort of shorten your path um overachievers will look for more ways to do effort in their work and so one of the patterns that they talked about were like our u.s presidents and that most u.s presidents lateral their way like they don't necessarily climb a ladder of like you know being a local, you know, official, then being a state official, then being in Congress, then, you know, it's sort of like they basically will reach achievement or a pinnacle in one career and then they will lateral that success to like a different career. And I guess like a good quote from the book or a good premise is like switching ladders can help you bypass dues and accelerate to a bigger or better cycle so my photography right now Mm -hmm. i have started i basically got a camera from my wife last christmas christmas of 2015 um and i spent 2016 honing my skills as a photographer and 
I feel like there were people who I started out shooting with who were better than me that I'm probably able, that I'm probably better than now. And a big part of it was that I found and sought out the best people in the business, like the mm-hmm. best photographers. And mm-hmm. I would meet up with them and I'd sometimes I'd pay for a workshop or I'd like study a YouTube video. And I basically, as a photographer, sort of let past like certain areas or certain certain parts of the career that some people spend years and years breaking through from just by like spending time with people that gave me essentially like a smart cut. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, one other thing about it is that it says, you know, um, we can spend thousands of hours practicing until we're a master at a skill, or we can convince a world-class practitioner to guide our practice and cut the time to mastery significantly. I agree. I definitely agree. Um, I always say like there's some people that I mentor and I go, you could have saved yourself a whole lot of heartache and drama by just going and getting a job at the top place for a little while. (laughs) But you know, that's okay. Uh, You can, there's the long route and then the even longer route. Um, So, okay. I want to talk about deep work by Cal Newport. Cause I think I, I think I'm going to like this one. (laughs) I'm going to exhale. (laughs) (laughs) You got some notes on here. Deep work. Deep work. Um, Wow. So this book is about shutting out distraction for deep, productive, concentrated work. Okay. Um, And basically, our culture has basically shifted towards a shallow work. And Mm -hmm. it's basically exposing a massive, like, opportunity for the few who recognize the potential of resisting this trend and prioritizing depth. And so when I say shallow work, it's like we all know how to work an iPhone. We all know how to take really good selfies. You know, there's those things that like, you know, we pride ourselves on being really good at. But, you know, my five year old kids could probably pick up on the skill, you know, with a little bit of instruction. Um, Right. This book really you know, categorizes deep work as like professional activities that are performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that will like push your cognitive abilities to their limits. Okay. Um, Okay. And these are efforts that create new values and like improve your skills. So, you know, um, you know, it really just talks about like doing the work that matters. And, you know, it talks about like a deliberate practice, you know, of like finding ways to really cut out the distraction. And so, you know, he talks about different extremes from people who don't own an email address and who you can't reach any way possible. And they just halt, you know, they'll just sort of, um, they'll make themselves unavailable and just do deep research. Like, and that's typically like your PhDs or um, people who are doing some type of like scientific research or something scientific based um, all the way down to like, you know, maybe a salesperson who has like a frantic schedule that sort of stop and start. But I think that, in times like these in an economy like the one we're in, I think part of what helps people like set themselves apart is their ability to have like that area or that skill that mm-hmm. they know better than anyone else or the ability to put out quality work in okay. a really fast time frame. I think those are the skills that set people apart not necessarily the people that sit somewhere and do exactly what they're told to do all day. Um, and so I think that this book really helps us figure out like how to batch hard and important intellectual work in the long uninterrupted stretches. And it's almost like, 
it's almost a, like a fitness program for your mind, for like your cognitive thinking. That's amazing. Uh, you have a note here that says, a succession of mediocre singers does not add up to a single outstanding performance. In other words, talent is not a commodity you can buy in bulk and combine to reach the needed levels. There's a premium to being the best. That's key. Yeah. Like you have to to go deep and do the deep work. And I have a couple. I think there's a, a quote. It says, if you don't produce, you won't thrive no matter how skilled or talented you are. And I think a lot of people, more talkers are not producing. Um, and two core abilities for thriving in the new economy. One is the ability to quickly master hard things and the ability to produce at an elite level in terms of both quality and speed. And I think that that's what people have to understand, quality and quick. And you can't do that if you're checking Instagram every 10 minutes. No, no, I think, and, and, and maybe Spencer, you can help me, but it's like, I'm really trying to think about ways that people can like I don't know that some people know how to do deep work like I think that you and I know how to focus and we didn't grow up with social media we didn't check it every second of the day um you know I barely I think I remember I was at my first second job before I got uh tech before phones could even text message so you know I think deep work is that sometimes uh, how do you what is your deep work method I guess how do you do deep work so for me, it's about discipline. Um, okay. And I'll admit that I struggle with it and that it's, mm -hmm. it's um, easy to do the fun stuff. It's easy to get caught <laughs> up in social media. Um, I actually recently put an app on my phone called Freedom. Okay. Um, and it blocks my social media until... Um, I think at least 10 a.m. on most mornings. Oh, wow. And I also, for me personally, I check email three times a day. Okay. Um, and that's back to even the Chet Holmes book about, you know, touch it once. So mm -hmm. I typically will check email at 10 a.m. Um, I'll check email around 2 p.m. And I'll check email again at 4 p.m. Um, okay. And so for me, I don't want to become reactionary. And so if I check email the first second my feet touch the ground, then all I spend my day doing is responding to other people's requests. So yep. usually by 10 a.m., I will have everything from 4 p.m. to 10 a.m. in my inbox. I can focus on it, address it right then and there. Um, I try not to, and I, it's still something I'm like working with. I try now to do more email on my computer than my phone. Yes. Because like I'm, and I'll admit it, like I'll text and drive and do all these things. And so there'll be errors or I'll miss a point in an email. So I try to respond to an email when I can really focus and pay attention to the content. Um, and then usually I'll let the afternoon go by. And mm -hmm. I'll batch it and respond to another batch of emails. And then at the end of the day or close to the end of the business day, I'll respond to a final batch of emails. And the truth is, is that if it's an emergency, um, they'll probably know how to call you or text you or reach you. And this method doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but I'd mm -hmm. say that it probably works for the majority of people. So I think one, like just getting a control of like email, getting a control of like social media. I think another thing that's sort of become an Achilles heel for me recently has been GroupMe. Um, just because it's like Twitter, but it's with your close friends or with people that you have a common interest in and it's a more intimate environment. And I found that that can become almost like a virtual barbershop. Like it can yeah. become that place where people just congregate and talk all day. And I'm like guilty of it, but it's just having like the discipline to really just say, you know what? I, I have like to really focus on my goals and I've got to really do some really hard work to get to them and just really try and 
to really shut down and some other the distractions. Yeah, I think I'm with you in the um the way I think I do deep work is and and it and I'm certain that I can go deeper. Uh but I don't do any I don't do any group chat, group me. Don't group me on anything. Don't contact me. I personally can't stand group texts. It's just not who I am and like you said what happens is that I I have been on few group chats that was meaningful conversation or useful. <laughs> it's, it's never either, you know? And so that's kind of just, it's not my thing. Um, as far as email, I do try to stick to email on the computer. So I use my phone to sort of scan for emergencies or something like that. But I use the VIP function. So there are VIPs, people that, you know, if they're emailing me, it's likely very important. So I go through that and see you know, I can look at the subject and tell if I should open it, you know, and I usually just try to sit down and do my emails when I can. So I don't, you know, that on the go email, I've, I've done away with that, you know, unless it's like a quick yes or no, but if I need to, to write it out, I will do, do it that way. But I do agree. I don't have specific times. It's just like when I sit down, I will check my email. So I haven't checked my email, but I'll check it when I get back to my office, probably at 1230. So and I need how. specific or kind of generally specific times because okay. not what I'll do is when I'm bored or when I have like a bored moment, I'll mm -hmm. find myself fidgeting or looking at email because I'm bored. And that's actually yeah. something doubling back to deep work they really mm -hmm. talk about is like being comfortable with being bored and sort of exercising your your mental your cognitive cognitive abilities to be able to just be present in a moment of like boredom to not feel yeah. like you have to fill it with some sort of activity because one of the things that they also talked about or he talks about in the book is that when you take a minute to like surf the web or to surf mm -hmm. social media that basically your brain, it's your brain doesn't work like a light switch and it takes your brain like 15 or 20 minutes. He does some sort of, he gives like a, a time frame to really take your mind off of whatever it was you were doing mindless back to the focus work. Okay. So, right. And I think sometimes you do that. You got a few minutes. Oh, let me search Instagram. Yeah. I put an app on my phone a couple of days ago. Uh, that I heard about on the friend zone podcast called um, method. Is it method? Let me see. What is it? No, because I'm lying. It's called moment. moment. It's the moment app. And what it does is it logs how many hours you spend on your phone every day, how many times you pick it up and how long you picked it up for. And it'll even tell you, you know, how you spent it on the apps. I picked up my phone 93 times yesterday. I'm going to try. I'm going to try that out. <laughs> I picked it up 93 times, but I picked it up 107 times Sunday. So I was down some yesterday, but we, it's just like, it. it's just when you see that, but you know, I do business on my phone. So I, I have given myself a pass, but you know, I, it is interesting to see like, wow, even though I am even still handling business on the phone, do I really need to be picking up my phone a hundred times a day? Damn. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> sobering. <laughs> it, it is. It's that thing of like, <gasps> I can do better. Um, but the, the awareness, I think most of us don't have the awareness of how often we are doing it. Um, and especially if you are, if you feel like you are lacking in some area, like people always say, how do you have time to read? Or how do you have time to do this? And I'm like, you'll be surprised at what you can do when you get serious focus to put that damn phone down, you know? It, but. it helps you so much and it really helps you to be present and really just be with even in social interactions, really be with the people you're with as opposed to being distracted. One, thinking about like how you're going to record whatever moment to stunt or even <laughs> like <laughs> watching the next person stunt. And it's something that I have to like. Yeah, oh, either you're recording the stunt or watching the stunt. Yes, and so it's cool to just be in the moment sometimes and to really just 
have real interaction and to really converse and to really absorb what whoever it is you're with, whatever the setting is, has to say. Yeah, I always think about that. I see people taking a ton of trips and I go, would you, I wonder if you take these trips if you, if there were no social media to stunt, you know, I think like some people are going to go and then other people are going to stunt, which I'm not a hater stunt, stunt your life away. (laughs) I'll be, I'll be there watching. So Spencer, that was our last book. I do want to give out your social media stats. Where can everybody find you? So I have two pages right now um, for my personal life, which is, I think, boring, but it's like my kids, my cooking, um, some occasional adventures, and kind of just my diary is at Black Tie ATL. Um, and then my more professional photography portfolio page is Spencer.photographio, and that's F O T O. G-R-A-F-I-O. Awesome. Thank you, Spencer. Thanks for the books. And I'll see you soon.